Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, we want to thank you for coming out tonight. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you're new with us today, we don't typically do services on Saturday, but uh, we know that anytime Easter weekend rolls around, it's going to be a really big weekend. And, uh, and so that's part of offering these services tonight. We know that for some people, maybe you're going to be with mom and dad tomorrow, or you're going to grandma's house or something like that. And so uh, thanks for coming out uh, for Saturday afternoon. I know it's a smaller crowd, uh, but we're excited. Again, it's Easter week. Weekend. We're celebrating uh, the fact that the tomb of Jesus Christ uh, is empty. And uh, if you're new, uh, if you don't have a church in our community, again, as Ben just mentioned a moment ago, we'd really like the chance to get to know you better. And uh, we'd love to tell you a little bit more about Genesis Church and help you understand maybe how you could get plugged in here. So we'll be up front afterwards. We'll have some people out in the lobby afterwards, too. Don't hesitate uh, to stop someone tonight before you go. Uh, we'd love to have that conversation with you. Hey, let me ask you this. How, how many of you, uh, on a semi-regular basis at least, uh, watch the news, listen to the news, read the news? How, how many of you follow along just with everything uh, that's going on? Yeah, m- most of us for sure. Now, how, how many of you, let me ask you this, how many of you think that we might be living in some of the craziest, most challenging times uh, really in all of history. You can, you can be honest if you would. We know there's a, there's a lot going on in our world right now. And I want to tell you tonight that the Bible has something to say about that. And uh, really, this is a big part of what I want to talk with you and even share with you about here this evening. But for those of you that raised your hand and thinking that this seems to be a really messy time, I'm not surprised you feel that way. And uh, in fact, if you've been watching the news, if you've been paying attention to the news just this past week, we know that we've had a U.S. Uh, bombing in Syria uh, in response to a, a horrible chemical weapons attack. There was a, an explosion in Afghanistan this past Thursday. Uh, everyone's watching North Korea right now, uh, just paying real cl- close attention to what they might do next. Uh, there was another school shooting in California. Uh, this past week. And uh, <clears throat> I'm guessing by now most every one of you has seen the video of the man that was forcibly dragged off the United Airlines flight after refusing to give up his seat. And uh, that, that's just a picture of it all. Like that's just a, uh, the picture of the real news. Like if you want some really negative stories, venture over into the world of fake news, right? And uh, so much more there. And just news like the Cubs winning the World Series. Did that really happen? Like did, is that real news? Is that fake news? But uh, no, I mean, we, we live in a day and age now where we're trying to discern the difference between real news and fake news. I want you to know this evening at Genesis Church, uh, we believe in something called the good news. We sometimes refer to it as the gospel, and the good news is Easter. I mean, it's this reality that uh, we have a Savior who gave his life on the cross, and, and the tomb for us is empty. I mean, we believe in this Savior, Jesus. It's, it has everything to do with the songs we sang just a moment ago. And uh, we believe in a man who lived a perfect life 2,000 years ago and willingly gave up his life on the cross. And on the third day, he rose from the dead as a way of defeating sin and death once and for all. And I know that any time we have an Easter weekend like this, that... Well, our services are full of a whole bunch of different people coming from different walks of life and uh, maybe different attitudes when it comes to something like church, maybe different attitudes and beliefs when it comes to to things like that. And so it wouldn't surprise me if maybe one or some of you here tonight are are here and you're not even really sure if you believe in God. Maybe you'd call yourself an agnostic or an atheist. We want you to know that Genesis is a a church where everyone is welcome. And we're certainly glad to have you as a part of this. But here's what I want to ask you to do tonight. I mean, if that in any way represents you and your faith system or even what you do or don't believe in God, I'd like to ask you tonight to consider the possibility, uh, the possibility of what we call the good news. 
uh, that it's true, and even consider the, the, the difference uh, that somebody like Jesus Christ could make for you uh, in your life. Here, here's how I'd sum it up a little bit. And if you're taking notes and you want to follow along with us, you might have received a handout when you came in. Uh, here's, here's the good news of Easter for us, just quickly. Number one is that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Uh, here's what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a strong claim. Right? That, that's a bold claim for Jesus to say, I am the way. I want you to notice that he didn't say, I'm a good way. Uh, Jesus didn't say, I, I'm one of the ways. He certainly didn't say, you know what, all roads lead to heaven, and so I'm just one of those that you can choose from. No, he made a very exclusive claim when he said, I am the way, and then he said, I am the truth, which means that there is no other truth according to Jesus. And then we also know that Jesus claimed to be God, and he said that no one gets to the Father or no one's going to heaven except by me. Those are some outrageous claims. You know, for Jesus to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And that's just important to keep in mind because there's a whole bunch of people out there today who like to keep Jesus to being nothing more than just simply a good teacher. But can I just ask you, would a good teacher say things like that? I mean, think about some of the teachers that you have in your life right now, or maybe some of those teachers from your past. If, if he or she uh, made a claim like Jesus, if they claimed to be perfect or to be holy or to be the only way to God, you'd go find a new teacher, right? Like you'd go sign up for a new class. And so consider the fact that Jesus was either who he said he was or he's the biggest liar that's ever walked on this earth. And how could that possibly be? I mean, if you think of all of history, you think of the fact that we're still talking about Jesus 2,000 years later, we're talking about this man whose name split history into B.C. and A.D. Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. The second thing is this, the good news of Easter means that Jesus has the power he claimed to have. It was Jesus who in Matthew 28, 18 said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, because he's God... He can do everything that God can do. Here's something else that Jesus said about his life in John chapter 10, verse 18. He says, no one takes my life from me. He says, I give it up willingly. I have the power to give it up and the power to receive it back again, just as my father commanded me to do. And here's what we know about history. We know that the Romans killed him. We know that they put him in a tomb. We know they put a stone in front of it and they sealed it with a Roman seal and they posted a guard in front of it for 24 hours. They, they were trying to prevent the inevitable, but the reality is that no one can stop our God. And no one could keep Jesus in the tomb. And heaven proved that our God would not be stopped. And so Jesus had the power he claimed to have. And, and third, uh, the good news of Easter means that Jesus did what he promised to do. And here's what he said about his life and where his life was ultimately leading. In Mark chapter 10, verse 33, he said to his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem. And then he said this about himself. He says, and the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine for just a moment, all right, put yourself in, Jesus friends for, in the shoes of Jesus' friends for just a second. All right, imagine that you're with him Hearing Jesus share these words, these predictions about what are going to, what's going to happen 
with his life, it might be kind of like this. I mean, I suppose that for some of you, you came here with some friends uh, this evening. And so imagine that on your way out the door, you turn to your friend and say, hey, let's get a bite to eat together. And, but your friend turns back to you and says, no, here's what I'm doing. I'm heading down to Indianapolis, and, and it's there that I, I'll be arrested, and I'm going to be condemned uh, to death. I, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to be condemned to uh, this wrongful death. And, but hey, you, you have a good dinner. And so like, like imagine your friend says something like that to you, and then it, it actually takes place. Jesus did that. He said these things about his life, and then he did what he promised. And, and while he gave up his life on the cross for you and me, and the fact is that when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, and when you seek him for the forgiveness, for the for forgiveness of your sins, well, we know that his promise is good and it's reliable, and that he will forgive all of your sins, and he will cancel every debt we owe. Call it God's pardon program. I mean, it really is what it is. I think about this, that every wrong you've ever committed in your life, that God nailed it to the cross, which means that he paid for it, and so you don't have to pay for it. There's probably a really good chance that some of you have been trying to pay the price for, for your mistakes in your own life, but The good news is that we don't have to pay that price, that Jesus Christ paid the price with his life, and that's why we celebrate Easter. So here's the thing. Here's what I want to do tonight. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about some specific passages uh, in Romans chapter 8, but before we do that, I feel like I kind of need to catch you up to speed just briefly on what we've been up to here at Genesis these last few weeks together. For the, for the last few weeks, we've been in this series that we simply call uh, Romans chapter 8. The book of Romans is a letter. Uh, it's in our New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul to, to Christians living uh, in the world, really, uh, in the Roman world, which was basically the known world at the time. And, uh, and you might be thinking, well, like, so you've, you've spent three weeks in just this one chapter. Well, if you add tonight and if you add again next week, this will be five weeks. And, and why? Why so much time in Romans 8? Well, it's a really rich chapter. Like, it's really good. And in fact, I just say this to you tonight, like if you'd like to do a little bit more study on your own and just try and piece some of this together, just read Romans 8 tonight before you go to bed. Uh, spend some time uh, in it. Check it out for yourself. Um, and uh, we'd love to give you a Bible if you don't have one. In fact, those Bibles that are laying around the room right now, if you don't have one, you're welcome to, to take it and to keep it. But I'd invite you, if you don't have one, to take it even right now. Uh, and if you want to take it and turn to Romans chapter 8 with us, I want to look at a few verses there with you. And you can turn to page 786 uh, so you can find where we're going to be. And we'll also have the verses uh, for you on the screen at the same time. But again, just quickly, here's what we've talked about the last three weeks in Romans chapter 8. Paul talks about the fact that if you're in Christ, uh, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you call yourself a Christian, there's no condemnation. All right, that's, that's a big part of the good news, that we are free in Jesus Christ. And in week two, uh, we talked talked about the fact that if you're in Christ, uh, you have the very presence of God in you. It's one of the greatest gifts that we have as followers of Jesus, is that we get the very presence of God in our lives, and it's the, the Spirit of God. It's that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And so we talked about this fact that we are empowered as followers of Christ. And then week three, last week, we talked about if you're in Christ... You're not on your own, like you're not left alone to live your life isolated in this world, but you're a part of God's family. The Bible uses the word adoption, and that's a big part of what God has done for us, is he's adopted us into his family. And so as we continue tonight, we're going to look at how in Christ we can be redeemed, all right? That's just really the title of our our service even tonight, that 
that we can be redeemed. Now, I know that that word redeemed is a little bit of an old-fashioned word. We don't use it much anymore, but it's a really powerful word, and it means to, to gain or to regain possession of something by paying a price for it. And what we learn in this section of Romans chapter 8, and in fact, the whole reason we celebrate Easter is that God paid a price to redeem us. And he paid a price to redeem you and to redeem me, and he's accomplished this through his son, Jesus Christ. And before we go into these next verses, I think one of the best ways to kind of set them up is to just bring something to light that I think we could say we all have in common uh, here this evening, and that is everyone here. And so it doesn't matter for you whether you call yourself a Christian or not, I I think we could all find at least one thing in common, and that's to say that we all, there, there is a reality of suffering and hurt in this world that if you're not experiencing it tonight, you're going to experience it sometime in your life. Isn't it true? Like we all face tough times. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian even, like it was Jesus that said, you know what, in this world, you're going to experience trouble. And so we've all got that in common. And even as we look at our world, I mean, we can all say, yeah, we're a part of the mess. Uh, every single one of us, we're, we're all a part of the brokenness. And maybe for some of you, you're more aware of that brokenness than you've ever been before because you've been paying close attention to the news. But for some of you tonight, you don't have to turn on the TV because it's, well, it's in your home. And the reality is you've got the mess, you've got the brokenness, you've got the struggle in your own home. For some of you right now, it's a real part of your marriage. Uh, maybe it's your parents' marriage. Uh, some people that you love deeply. For others of you, it's some fears about your health right now and just some continued struggles for answers. For others, it's concerns about school or uh, it's concerns about what you're going to do this fall. Uh, it's concerns about maybe some friends or some broken friendships or relationships you have in your life. Uh, think about all the times that we struggle with things like money and just our anxiety over money or, or again, just a general fear about everything that's happening in the world right now. And with that, this feeling of that this isn't how it's supposed to be. Like, it should be better. Like, do you ever think that? Like, in addition to the fact that we all share in struggle, I mean, don't we all have that in common, too, that there's this, this sort of this shared feeling that it shouldn't be this way, that it really should be better? I mean, think about it. Think every one of us all together with different lives and different opinions and different lifestyles and different views on politics and even faith. Like if we can look around us and acknowledge together that things are a mess and see that it's broken, that things aren't how they ought to be, like that means that we know in our hearts that in some way we are programmed with this idea that there is a way that things should be, that there is a way that things are supposed to be. And that's a little bit of what Paul is after. And the author of the book of Romans again, and he's going to show us a little bit about that with just a few minutes that we have together tonight. And so Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I want to look at uh, a handful of verses here with you and, and then just kind of illustrate for you, I think, what all of that means for us tonight. Romans 8, chapter 18, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, stop there for a second. At first, it might sound like Paul's getting all up in your business or something, like he's trying to tell you that you need to man up and that your problems aren't really problems. And if you think you got problems, I got problems. Think about how we compare those things at times. But I don't want you to read it that way. That's not what he's saying here. Instead, he's acknowledging that there is suffering. 
Now, suffering's a very real part of the world 2,000 years ago. It certainly is today. But what he's doing, especially for those of us that are followers of Christ, is he's encouraging us to look at our suffering with a different perspective. And so he's saying, he's acknowledging that, hey, suffering is hard, but then he said there's glory to come. All right, there's good things to come. There's a glory to be revealed. And when that glory is revealed, you know what? You'll forget about all of your suffering. You'll forget about the mess. You'll forget about the brokenness that you're in right now, that it will fade in comparison. It was St. Teresa of Avila who experienced incredible loss and pain and struggle in her life. She endured years of sickness, just a chronic illness and pain. And towards the end of her life, here's how she summed up her hope. She said this. She said, in light of heaven... The worst sufferings on this earth will, seen, will, will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. That's what she said. Hey, this is what it'll seem like. And I kind of like that. I, I kind of love that. I, I think that's a picture really that, you know, when it comes to heaven and when we experience heaven one day, that our worst sufferings in this world will seem like one night in a really bad hotel. I look at it like this, like... Maybe you've had one of those, but if not, imagine it this way. Like, imagine you're on your way to Florida, and you've got a friend, a very wealthy friend, all right, that has given you one week in their multi-million dollar home on the beach. And so you've got that in mind, and you're in the car, but you know what, because you got kids, maybe it's going to take a couple of days to get there. And so you got to spend one night in a motel, and so you find this motel, it's the only choice, and it doesn't take long before you walk in the room and realize this is not a good situation. And there's the funny smell, and it kind of makes your eyes burn a little bit, and everything's just really dirty. And you can tell that the bathroom really hasn't been cleaned well. And so you get out your phone and you just Google to make sure this motel hasn't been in the news recently. Like no stories of bed bugs, right? I mean, that's just what you're hoping for. And so you lay down in your bed that night and maybe you're there in the middle of the night and you're looking at the ceiling. And even though it's a bad night of sleep, you got a smile on your face because you know what? Tomorrow we're going to the beach and we're staying in this really beautiful place. And you smile because why? You know where you're going. And you know what's ahead of you. And that's really the perspective of heaven. And that's what Paul encourages us in. He just says, you know what? I know it hurts. But know where you're going. Let's keep in mind where we're going. He continues, verse 19, he says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Stop there for a second. I've heard, and bear with me, ladies, I've heard that the two most painful things that one can experience in this life, at least for the average person, are childbirth, all right, and passing a kidney stone, all right, that those are two of the worst physical experiences for any one person. And I've got firsthand knowledge of this because I personally have been in a room with a woman who's been in labor three times, all right, and so I just know, all right, I just get how painful that experience can be, all right, and so two painful experiences to be endured, giving birth and passing a kidney stone, but when you think about it, how people process that pain, 
is totally different because you know it's possible, and for some of you ladies here, that you might give birth, all right, and even with the pain of it, you might turn to your husband even minutes after the birth and say, you know what, let's do this again because it's totally worth it. But have you ever heard anyone who has just passed a kidney stone turn to their spouse and say, maybe God will bless us with another, right? You know? I mean, maybe we'll be so fortunate. No, no one wants that, all right? No one says anything like that because we know while the pain is intense for both, the outcome is very different. And one leads to a baby and the other leads to a kidney stone, and they're just very different. They're very different outcomes. And so here's the thing. As Christians, how we process suffering can be so different because we know what's on the other side, because we have a picture of the things that are to come, and that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, hey, there is present suffering, and we're all going to go through it, and in some in greater ways than others, but it's like the pains of childbirth, because if you're in Christ, it leads to something beautiful. It's going to lead to something worth it. And so let me just say to you tonight that your pain doesn't have to be wasted, and it can be redeemed. And God can use your pain to make something beautiful out of your life. And it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how much you've messed up, what you've done, how you think you've maybe wasted your life. If you're not dead, you're not done. And it may just be that the pain you feel and are experiencing in your life is God about to give something birth or give birth to something beautiful and amazing in you and for others and for his glory. And so he says in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, he's talking about Christians here, we groan inwardly. All right, again, we're going to go through difficult times, though, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so we wait. That word wait is a key word in these verses. Do we wait in despair? No, Paul says no way. We wait with eager anticipation because as Christians, we know how the story ends and we know what Christ means to us and what he means for this world. And then verse 24, he says, for it's in this hope that we're saved. But, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. He says, who hopes for what they already have, but we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. That's an important word. We wait patiently because that's how you wait when you're pregnant, right? To wait impatiently does you no good. It'll just make you frustrated. And no matter how anxious you are for the baby to get there, it's not coming until it's ready. And so we wait patiently, but we hope. Paul says we hope. And then he finishes this section with this promise and this encouragement. He says, in the same way, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. One of the greatest privileges that you have as a follower of Christ Again, just to have the very spirit, the very presence of God in you who helps, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Look at verse 28. This is a powerful verse. He says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I'll just tell you, there's a lot, all right? 
There's a ton in those couple of verses there. I'm going to sum it up all up by saying this. God is perfect. He is a sovereign God. He's got a perfect plan for this world. And his perfect plan involved his son, the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, for us. So how do those 12, 13 verses, how do they relate to Easter? Or how in the world can we even begin to simplify a little bit of what Paul is saying? Here's what I'd like to do if I could. I'd like to draw for you a diagram of what I believe that this means for us. Uh, What's Paul getting after here? And maybe most importantly, maybe what this Easter and this service might mean for some of you tonight. These are in your notes, but again, we talked about what is it that we all have in common. And again, it doesn't matter uh, how long you've been around this, how new you are to this message, or uh, whether you call yourself a Christian or not. I think we would agree that one of the things that we all have in common is that we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And there's evidence of it all around us from uh, wars and conflict. Uh, When you think about disease, when you think about things like cancer, when you you think about uh, famine and hunger and poverty that exists in our world today, we live in a broken world world, and not only is it a broken world, but we're broken people uh, living in a broken world. I mean, think about your life. Think about the lives of people around you and the thoughts and attitudes and feelings that we, we struggle with. Think about how people struggle with things like anxiety and depression. Think about uh, how people struggle with shame. Think about how easily people are manipulated by jealousy and anger uh, in their lives. Uh, we hurt others. Others hurt us. We are broken people living in a broken world. Here's what's interesting. That's not the world God created. In fact, as Christians, we see and we recognize that God created a world and God designed a world that was to be perfect and good. And it was a world that was free of the wars. It was a world that was free of the poverty. It was a world that was free of things like sickness and death and It was a world where he created man and woman to be in a perfect relationship with one another and to be in a perfect relationship with with God as our creator. It was a world where he had a perfect plan in mind. He had a perfect plan for things like marriage. He had a a perfect plan for families. He had a perfect plan for your career. And, well, what we were called to do with ourselves with this life in this world. But Here's what's happened. How, how in the world did we get from God's design to the broken world that we live in today? Well, it's something that the Bible calls sin, and we call sin. And sin is just simply turning your back on God. Uh, sin is choosing to go your own way. Sin is uh, pridefully or selfishly choosing your own way or your own decision. And sin separated us from God. It's sin that resulted in this brokenness. And I'd also add what we would say is death today, and that's not only a physical death in this life, but it's also the potential of death uh, in eternity and eternity in hell. But here's what happens. Here's what happens as we live our lives in this world and we see this in others around us. At some point and in some way, shape, or form, we recognize and understand that things aren't right, and so we seek out on our own to make sense of it all. Right? We, 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 we seek out in our own way to bring purpose to it. And so we go searching for all of these different things to, to bring meaning, to bring fulfillment, to bring satisfaction uh, into our lives. Think about some of those examples of how we do just that. For some people, it's all about drive. 
And for some people, it's about success and what can I accomplish for myself. For other people, they get so focused and they get so centered on money and material wealth and what you can gain uh, for yourself. For some people, we put all of our hope in others. And so we go looking for other people. We go looking to a marriage. We go looking to a potential love relationships or to friendships to do for us what only God can do. Some people uh, just kind of set out to make purpose of it all by saying, you know what, I'm going to be a good person, all right? Or maybe there's a cause that you give your life to and you'll spend the rest of your life looking for meaning from that cause. But here's what happens for some. Some give up and some say it's not worth it and there's nothing to be found. And so we'll just say that there's a numbing that takes place and people turn to things like alcohol, people turn to things like drugs or pornography to kind of mask the pain that won't go away. Here's what every single one of us ultimately realizes. We realize that we can't fix ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. But here's what I see. And here's what I see that God is capable of doing. I believe that God works in this brokenness when we realize that we can't fix ourselves and we come, finally come to this place of understanding this realization that we need rescued and we need helped. And that's where Jesus comes in. And for us as Christians and for Genesis Church, we believe that Jesus is the good news, that God wasn't willing to watch us waste away in our brokenness. And so he provided a solution for us in Jesus Christ. He sent his very son into this world who was born as a baby. He grew into a teen and grew up as an adult. And Jesus lived a perfect life on this world. He was without sin. He lived life as God created it to be and became a perfect model and example for us. And then he willingly went to the cross and he took on the penalty of sin, of this brokenness and death. He took the consequences of it on himself and he gave his life on the cross but again, the good news of Easter is that three days after he died, God raised him from the dead. And so we believe that the good news is that Jesus paid the penalty for sin and death once and for all, and that he has provided a way out of this brokenness and death and ultimately to the Father. But how do you do that? Because here's the thing, just knowing that or just hearing that news isn't enough. But no, the Bible says that we have to be willing to respond to that news, every single one of us, and to do one of two or to do both things. The first is to come to a place in your life where you ultimately say, I want to turn away from the brokenness and the death and my sin once and for all, and not just simply turn from it, but to trust Jesus Christ through it. And here's what happens. Here's what happens when we trust Jesus the scriptures say that God does two things for us. The first is that he makes us new. He pronounces us new, that we're a new creation in Jesus Christ, that we are freed. There is no more condemnation, that we're adopted into God's family for the sake of everything we're talking about tonight, that we are the redeemed in this world. And the second thing is this, that he gives us the opportunity to follow Jesus to not just simply get a ticket to heaven, but what he does is he invites us into the restoration of everything he is going to do in this world once again. And he invites us to be salt and light 
or as we like to say at Genesis Church, he invites us to help people find their way back to God through Jesus Christ in this world. <clears throat> and so God made this offer 2,000 years ago through his son, but he's still making it today. And for some of you tonight, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ in this world, but he's making that offer available to you. And you may not even know why you're here. I mean, maybe for some of you tonight, you're here because your mom's been inviting you for a long time. You might be here because you've got a neighbor who won't shut up about this church, and so you finally came as a way of getting them to shut up. But I believe that God has something bigger planned for some of you tonight and even this weekend, that he wants to redeem your life and he wants to turn you from the brokenness that you've been experiencing and to trust his son, Jesus. And he wants you to follow him and he wants to redeem your pain and use it for good. But for others of you, maybe you've been around this forever and you've been around church forever. You've been around it a long time and you've trusted Christ with your salvation. But if you're honest with yourself, you're not following him with your whole heart. And if you're honest, you know that there are some dark places, maybe some dark corners of your life right now that you're not willing to let God in. You've kind of been guarding those. Here's the thing. When, when Christ uh, gave his life for you, he paid for all of you. All right, not just some of you. And uh, he, he, he wants to say to you tonight that he can take every part, every part of your life, and he can redeem it, and he can make something good. He can bring something good and valuable out of it. Uh, he, he can use even your pain and even your struggles. He can use it for good. Uh, Bertrand Russell was a philosopher uh, who lived and died uh, in 1970. He was an outspoken atheist. He wrote a book called Why I'm Not a Christian. And uh, by the way, we're going to start a series here in Genesis in a couple of weeks called Why I'm Not a Christian. And uh, we're going to talk about four of the most common objections people have to Christianity. And um, I'd love for you to be a part of that. You know, if, you don't, if you're not a part of Genesis Church even right now, we'll start that on April the 30th. But get this, when Russell was an atheist, uh, this 81-year-old man, uh, his health was deteriorating. He, he was interviewed by a British broadcasting station, and the interviewer asked him, like, what do you have now? Like, now that you've come to the the end of your life, what do you have to hang on to when death is so close? And he responded in a very honest but also a very hopeless way, and he said this, and I quote, he said, I have nothing to hold on to but grim, unyielding despair. And while I would say that I appreciate his honesty, I can't imagine getting to the end of my life and thinking just that, that 50 or 60 or 70 years or 80 years of it would all just simply be a waste and a tragedy, really, and all thrown away. Here's the reality for us. Here's what I believe. I believe there are two types of people living in this world today. There are those that are living in this brokenness and death, the Bertrand Russells of the world with no hope in front of them at all right now, and there are those that have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Where are you? Which place do you find yourself in? And the very difficult reality is that we all have a choice to make. And the good news is, is that the choice is available to you. And keep in mind this, 100 years from now, it's the only thing that will matter. 100 years from now, it won't matter where you lived. 100 years from now, it won't matter what you drove, how much money you made. 100 years from now, the only thing that will matter is your relationship with God and whether you allowed Jesus 
to redeem your life or not. Two types of people, those that are following Jesus and those that aren't. Which are you? You ready to follow Jesus, to be the redeemed, to celebrate with us? It's a gift available to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the wonderful and the great news of Easter that certainly isn't just reserved for one weekend out of the year. We're reminded tonight that we can celebrate Easter all year long. And uh, we are thankful that you gave your son, your only son, Lord, who gave his life and paid the price and the penalty for sin and death and brokenness and pain and suffering. We thank you, Lord. And I pray that we would be encouraged tonight that We would eagerly anticipate all that we have for now and all that is to come. Lord, help us in our suffering. As followers of Christ, Lord, give us strength. Give us hope as we wait patiently for you. And God, we thank you. We thank you that your invitation is so good and so wide open for anyone to receive that Jesus died for all, that he died for everyone. And I pray that every person here tonight would know that, Lord. And for a few of you tonight, or however many that may be, and maybe you've never trusted the Lord with your life, could I just ask you to consider the possibility that Jesus can bake for you here this evening and to give you a new day and a new hope and his invitation to follow him, Lord. It it doesn't matter what you've done. Your past You're present. It doesn't matter what others think of you. Christ's gift, his gift of salvation and forgiveness is available to you no matter who you are. But God's not going to force that on you. You've got to receive it. You've got to make that choice for yourself to turn from your sin and to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've never done that before, I want to offer you an opportunity to do that right now. Just right here as we pray together. and Maybe you're ready to make a choice like that, and if so, I just invite you to pray with me. You can pray these words silently. No one needs to hear you say them. Just pray, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I give you all my life because you gave yours. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you redeem my life, Lord? I belong to you. Now I can promise you, as the scriptures say, that if we confess with our mouths, if we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he will save us, that he will save you and free you. And you can be redeemed and you can be redeemed tonight. And I sure hope that if you prayed that prayer this evening or if you're ready to pray that prayer, that you wouldn't keep that to yourself. I know we'll have some people up front afterwards. I'd love to talk. We'd love to talk and pray with you before you go and just kind of help you in thinking about next steps. We'd love to celebrate with you because this is good news. And for others of you, maybe you still got some questions and maybe you need some time. Man, would you consider the possibilities? We'd invite you to keep coming back, to keep exploring, to keep asking your questions until you're ready to turn and to trust Christ the same. Father, we thank you. Thank you again for Christ, our Savior, Lord, our hope. We want to sing and celebrate his name, not only tonight, but in the days to come with all of our lives. We praise you and thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.